scriptures why uh, that is the title I chose. So Luke chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible, you can also look up here on the PowerPoint or you can uh, look at the sermon insert. But let me read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So please hear now the reading of God's holy word. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not not be taken away from her. This is, the Lord of, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Father, we confess that uh, often we come to your word and we want to get from it um, something that will encourage us, something that will bless us without realizing that sometimes you bless us and you encourage us um, through rebuke, through challenge, Um, God, so I pray that instead of coming to your word um, in the manner that we want, that that we would submit ourselves to it and say, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you encourage us? Would you build up your people? Would you strengthen us for the fight? Would you give to us grace to run the race? Would you give to us hope so that we would look forward to seeing Christ one day? So, Father, with this word, with your word, your revelation to us, Form our group into the people you want us to be, a church that loves Jesus Christ, that loves our neighbors, and that loves each other. God, would you do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I remember in middle school, I was so close to being a straight-A student every semester, every quarter, but I was never able to pull it off. Can you guess which class it was that always held me back from my future glory. Someone said Jim. (laughs) I guess I could see why you would say that. But it was art class. I could never get an A in art. And it was frustrating because it's art and gym that are pretty much the two classes that are freebies. They, They make you take these classes so everyone can at least get an A. I remember always working on assignments in class and having the teacher walk around and she would kind of peer over the student's shoulders and she would comment on their work. She would say things like, great job, this looks good, keep up the good work. And then she would come over to my desk and she would look over at my progress and, and then she would move on and, and not say anything. And outwardly I was silent, I acted like I didn't care, but inwardly I was screaming, what about mine? Am I doing good work? Say something good about what I'm doing. I always long to hear this affirmation from her about my work. Now, it makes me wonder, do you long to hear affirmation, praise about your work, about your performance? Do you long to hear someone say, good job, good work, you're doing great, keep it up. 
In today's story, Martha really wanted to hear some of that from Jesus. But the affirmation Jesus chooses to give actually doesn't go to Martha and her work, but it goes to Mary instead. The affirmation Mary receives goes something like this. One thing is necessary, Mary. You have chosen the good portion. Now, some translations say better portion, but they mean the same thing. I want to hear this affirmation from Jesus, too. Maybe you do. You want to hear Jesus say, well done, good job. You've chosen the right, the good, the better portion. But the question is, what is that portion? Why is it good or why is it even better than what Martha has chosen? And thirdly, why is it one thing that is necessary? And so asking those questions, I want to go into today's passage. My text today is Luke 10, 38 to 42. And from it, I'd like to consider this gospel truth, this one sentence summary. We need to walk with Jesus faithfully in order to work for Jesus joyfully. We need to walk with Jesus faithfully before in order we work for him joyfully. Now, last week I did something new for the first time actually in my nine years of preaching, which is uh, I preached without an outline, uh, without, without giving the points, I mean. Um, and I'm, I think it went okay. Nobody fell asleep. All of you are back. Um, so I'm going to do that again. I'm going to give this a try. And so let's just set up the scene, okay? So keep your Bible open with me. Verse 38. The scene starts this way. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So we're told Martha is the host of this gathering. It's her house, and so it's her responsibility to provide hospitality for the guests. Now, there's a distance and a gap between our culture and the culture of the Bible where hosting and hospitality were so much more important back then and there than they are today. Now, I think it's safe to say generally, and of course I'm not speaking about anyone specifically, but generally we in the 21st century don't like people in our homes. Uh, One comedian recently commented about the difference between hospitality 20 years ago and the hospitality today. He comments that 20 years ago, when the doorbell rang in the house, it was an exciting moment for the family. Who could it be? The doorbell rang, you turn on the lights, you run to the door, you open it, yay! You welcome in, you receive them into your home. But in 2017, it's very different. Someone rings the doorbell, everyone gets quiet. Everyone gets suspicious. Start questioning each other. Did you invite somebody? Are you expecting somebody? Right? Instead of going to the door happily, you tell everyone to shut up. (laughs) To be quiet, you turn the lights off, you mute the TV, you hope whoever it is will go away. Even though your car's in the front yard, they saw your lights turn off and they're sitting there waiting. We find people generally, now people coming into our doors, we find that to be intrusive or an interruption. Now, I'm not saying you guys aren't welcoming, but that's generally where our culture is. Hospitality is not regularly celebrated or practiced. But in the Bible, what we see is that it's not only culturally expected, but it's actually a biblical command. So in Romans 12, 13, Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So Martha 
In receiving Jesus and his disciples into her home, she's not only fulfilling the cultural, but also the biblical expectations. Now, let's consider the nature of his visit. First, Martha is welcoming Jesus into her home. Now, at the very least, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher who has some disciples following him around. He's respectable to some measure. But more accurately, we know Jesus is the Son of God. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And the question for Martha is this. How do you welcome God into your home? What kind of spread do you put out for the divine? Does he like cheese and crackers? Does he like Swiss cheese because it's the most holy of the cheeses? (laughs) Does he drink tea or coffee? What does he like? Should you just give him water and he'll turn it into whatever he wants? How do you welcome Jesus? And as if that's not enough pressure, it's not only Jesus who shows up, it's his whole entourage. His disciples, verse 38 says, now as they went on their way, it's plural, why? Because he's traveling with a group. Do you know how hard it is to prepare for this many people? 13? Let alone the difficulty of this being sprung up on you without any kind of advance notice. We all know hosting is a lot of work. It's tiring. It takes planning. It takes preparation. And this is the first century. They come over. Martha can't pick up the phone and order pizza or Chinese takeout. She can't quickly go to the store and pick up a few things. She can't open her freezer door and take out Tyson chicken wings that she got from Costco. She can't stick something in the oven and heat things up quickly. No. No, she needs to head to the kitchen. She needs to open her pantry. And whatever she has, she must work with. And all she wants to do her best. She has Jesus in her home. She wants to receive him well. Wouldn't you want to do the same? So it's understandable then when Martha snaps at Mary. Because Mary's not helping Right, as soon as Jesus enters the home, Martha heads straight to the kitchen. But Mary, where does she go? She goes to the living room with Jesus, leaving all of the responsibility and burden to fall on her older sister. Now, some of you who are older siblings are very familiar with that. How infuriating younger siblings can be who just sit around and expect things to be done for them. If Mary doesn't go to the kitchen to help Martha, does she just expect food will magically appear for everybody? Will the tables just set themselves? Will drinks just be poured out on their own? And so it makes you wonder, isn't Mary a little selfish? Because she's spending time with Jesus, but she's not helping out with the preparations. And so you can kind of sense why Martha would be under so much stress. Well, that's why it's so surprising then when Jesus rebukes Martha and not Mary. In verse 41, why does he say to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Because Jesus wants to point out to Martha that her priorities are actually in the wrong place. How does that make sense? How is Martha's priorities in the wrong place? Martha's priority is to serve Jesus. Her priority is to do her best to welcome him into her home so that while under her roof, he is refreshed and receives rest. If that's worthy of rebuke, why would we try to serve God? 
And this is where the story takes a turn. Because we find out that Jesus has come to Martha's house not so that she can do something for him, but actually he's come to Martha's house to do something for her. Jesus has not come to receive rest, but to give rest. And we see this in the stark contrast between the sisters in the story. Because Martha is trying to prepare a feast for Jesus in the kitchen. But Mary is in the living room already feasting on what Jesus has prepared for her. Martha is serving Jesus, but she's rebuked because she isn't sitting with Jesus like Mary is. She's laboring for Jesus, but Mary is listening to Jesus. And so what's the one thing necessary that Jesus talks about? It's spending time with him, sitting at his feet and receiving all that he wants to give. Choosing the good portion means choosing to be with Jesus. It means to enjoy the person before you engage in preparation. And I think like Martha, we often miss the point. Maybe this is why the gospel is not liberating and freeing for you. Maybe this is why the gospel is not giving you overflowing and great joy in your life. Let me ask you, why does Jesus come into your life? Is it to boss you around and get you to work for him? Or is it to bring rest and healing and peace into your life? Does Jesus call you to himself so he can give you a yoke that is heavy and hard or light and easy? Let's not miss the heart of the gospel. Jesus, Jesus himself says that I have come into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. What does Jesus want from you? He wants you to receive all that he has prepared for you with hands that are ready to receive, not hands that are ready to give. Now, there's one thing necessary in your life, and it's not what you can do for Jesus. It's receiving all that he has done for you. The good, the good portion is not found in your performance, but it's found in a person. Now, some of you have been working very hard for Jesus. We're a small church. We need people to serve. We need people to join in the work. And some of our members wear multiple hats in the church. And I'm thankful for you. And I appreciate how diligently you serve because it's so precious. It's so needed in the church. But I need you to understand this because I love you. We can never derive our identity as Christians from what we do for God. The most important work you need to commit yourself to is walking with Jesus. So let me ask you, how are you doing sitting at his feet and learning from him? Does the joy of your work and your life come from walking with Jesus? Or does your joy and your, and your worth in life, does it come from working for Jesus? When it comes to your devotional life, do you find devotions to be a distraction for what you need to do for him? Or is it a delight? Because you get to spend time being with him. Again, it's easy to get your identity and what you can do for Jesus instead of being filled with all that he has done for you. And this is why the gospel is such good news. Because the gospel is not a help wanted ad from God telling you what he needs from you. The gospel is a help available ad telling you what he's done for you. So let me ask you that question. Is your understanding of Christianity and your understanding of the gospel, is it a help available ad or is it a help wanted ad? 
Do you talk to Jesus and tell him what you need from him or what he needs from you? Now, this passage has been used and abused in many ways, and I think the most common way is to use it as a kind of biblical personality test. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, we live in a culture that loves these biblical personality tests, uh, whether the five love languages, well, what are your love languages, to uh, the Myers-Briggs test, Uh, what are your four initials that encapsulate the the whole of who you are, maybe strengths finders. Maybe it's uh, which house in Hogwarts you belong to and which wand, you know, you should have. Whatever it is, we love these kind of tests. They're fun to take. They reveal something about us. So Christians have often used the Bible for the same kind of purpose. Maybe you've heard about it. It's the Mary Martha test. It's asked, which sister are, are you more like? Are you a Martha, a tenacious worker, or are you a Mary, a passionate worshiper? And when used in this personality test type of way, they say that Marthas are usually those who have a type A personality. Marthas are those who are ready to serve. They have a hard time sitting in service because they're thinking about everything that needs to be done. Is the coffee brewing? Are the donuts out? Do we have enough cups and napkins? Are the tables wiped down? And you often find the Marthas are the ones volunteering behind the scenes. They're setting up, taking down, putting up, bringing in. They're all about the work. And in small churches and church plans, pastors love the Marthas. They're game changers in the church because one good Martha is worth more than like five good Marys. <laughs> well, what are Marys like? They're usually the people who come to church with a Bible and a journal They take notes during sermons and love to talk about God is teaching them in this season of my life. They even use expressions like this season of my life. They're very much about the quiet times. They pull over on the side of the road to take a picture of the sunset. You know, they're those kinds of people. And when it's time to worship, you know, nothing distracts them. They can be taking up three seats in a room that's being full, but their eyes are closed and they're worshiping that you can't get their attention to move over. And then the Marys, on the other hand, they're never in worship because they're going in and out, bringing more and more chairs, even though there's 50 empty ones. Of course, preachers love the Marys in the church because they make them feel like good preachers because they're listening well, they're taking notes, they're nodding, they're laughing at all the jokes. Right? They're the ones pastors look at when they're starting to feel like, oh man, I'm bombing this sermon, and you look for the Mary. <laughs> Oh, she's writing a note. I must be saying something worth remembering. And these are the kind of descriptions. Oh, Martha is like this. Mary is like this. And we can kind of see that's reflective in the story. And I've heard countless pastors then preach this text and then challenge their congregations. If you're a Martha and you love serving, try to be a little bit more like a Mary and sit and worship and listen for a change. Take in the word. And then the charge and challenge goes, if you're a Mary and you love worship, we'll try to be like a Martha for a change. Look for the needs of the church and get involved and help out. Apply the word. And it's a fun exercise to do because if you think about it yourself, you can go, okay, well, maybe I'm this. You can look around the room and say, okay, that person's definitely this. And, you know, you're definitely a Mary. You're definitely a Martha. And, um, you know, if you're a guy and you don't like Mary or Martha, you can work with... uh, Marty or uh, Mario, even though it's Mario, but you know, you know, are you a Marty or are you a Mario? Are you a Martha or are you a, a Mary? Well, which are you? 
And it's fun to do. But if you really think about it, I don't think Luke wrote down this story to the early church, preserved it for the church now, for us to read and go, well, which am I, a Mary or a Martha? I think actually upon close inspection, the story actually shows us that we're all actually like a Martha. Deep down inside, we have Martha tendencies. Now, what do I mean by this? Martha insists on her work for Jesus as the primary way to relate to him and to relate to her sister. So at the end of the day, it's her good works that ruins her relationship with God and with others. So take a look with this, uh, at this with me. Verse 40. So verse 40, Martha comes, she was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him. She goes up to who? Jesus, and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Martha levels a charge against Jesus. She accuses Jesus of not caring about her because Jesus is enjoying a relationship with Mary. And she's not chastising and rebuking her for being lazy and listening instead of laboring for him. Martha has so much confidence in her good works that she feels justified complaining to Jesus, accusing Jesus of not caring. Secondly, Martha becomes so critical of Mary, doesn't she? She feels superior to her, and therefore she looks down on her because she's diligently serving while Mary is devotionally sitting. Again, Martha has so much confidence in her work that she measures herself against Mary, and she concludes, okay, I'm doing better than her. I'm in a position to judge. And the question is, have you ever done any of these things like Martha? When we are doing lots for Jesus... Don't we feel justified demanding certain things from him? Or at least expecting certain things from him? Isn't this why we get so disappointed or angry at God when we sacrifice so much for him? We do so much for him, but things don't go our way. He doesn't give us what we want. It frustrates us. Why? Because this stems from a heart very much like Martha, where we believe we have the right to complain because of all the works and all the things we've done for him. God, don't you know what I'm doing for you? How could you not give me that? How could you let this happen? That's the heart of Martha. We feel like we deserve something in return, and it's not right. It's not fair, God, if you don't give it to me. But it's not only a vertical issue, it's a horizontal issue. Have you ever judged another person? And when you judge another person, on what basis do you judge them? You judge them because you feel superior to them. You feel like you're in a higher position Because you're doing better, whatever better is. You're doing better. You know more. Now, here's the problem. If we make our work and our performance the fundamental principle by which we relate to others, the way we relate to God, if we make our work, our performance, the way we relate to God or the way we relate to other people, then two things will happen. One, we'll always level complaints against God when he doesn't give us what we want. And we'll always live critically with others when they're not meeting our standards. Martha loves to view the world through her good works. And as a result, she is distant from Jesus. Quite literally. In the story, she's literally in a different room for Jesus. She's under the same roof, but she's not enjoying his intimate presence like Mary is. But she's also spiritually distant because she's trusting in her works and not trusting in Jesus to determine how close they can be. Jesus is saying, regardless of your works, good or bad, come on in. By grace, you can come all the way in. And Martha is saying, no, thank you. 
No, thank you. I'll come as far as my good works will allow me. So if I have a lot of good works, I can go in. But if I don't produce enough, I'll stay out here. Jesus is saying, come in. She's saying, no. Her working hard for Jesus causes her to walk far from Jesus. Her working hard for Jesus is actually causing her to walk far from him. And as she walks further away, her work no longer becomes about Jesus, but becomes about herself. Now look at verse 40. Martha marches right into the room where Mary and Jesus are. She stands at the doorway. She's exasperated. The way I imagine the scene is, you know, Martha has this apron on, and she's been in the kitchen, and her hair is disheveled. She has flour here on her face and on her arms. She just looks like a mess. And I could just imagine her standing with her, with her uh, arms on her hip, and she's looking at Jesus, and she says, Lord. And then she just raises out a finger. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When did this all of a sudden become about you? You said you were serving Jesus. You said you wanted to receive Jesus. Now you're only talking about yourself. And she's finally exposed that all the hard work she was doing was never for Jesus. It was really for herself. And in the end, what happens when Mary's not helping? Martha's the only one offended. Martha's the only one who's upset that the cooking isn't going on, the preparation isn't going on. Jesus isn't bothered at all. Why? Because he never asked her to do it. Jesus came to bless and to nourish and to be with them. And so it's Martha alone who receives no blessing, even though she's under the same roof. And maybe that's some of you. Your relationship with Jesus is working for him. And so although you're in close proximity to him, you are actually never nourished by his grace and his presence. Like Martha, you are distracted by many things. You are distracted by your very own good works. They're supposed to be for Jesus, but you are just walking far from him. You are foolishly skipping the good portion and you are choosing many things but not the one thing that is necessary. See, here's Martha's true mistake. She uses her measuring cup as a measuring stick by which she judges herself and she judges others. Her measuring cup becomes a measuring stick of merit, how, how, how much work someone's doing. She holds it up to herself and she says, well, I pass, of course. She holds it up to Mary. She judges Mary. Mary fails. Then she even dares to judge Jesus. She holds it up to Jesus, and Jesus fails. So she has a suggestion for him. Sounds more like a commandment, but it's a suggestion. Tell her to help me. Jesus, you tell her to help me. But Jesus, oh, thank God for Jesus. Jesus refuses to use Martha's measuring stick to judge anybody. He says, Mary's not wrong. Martha, you've chosen incorrectly. Martha, you've been distracted. Mary has chosen the good portion. Why? Because Mary has chosen to sit at the feet and receive from Christ, receive Jesus himself. Martha is distracted from Christ with her uh, cleaning and with her uh, cooking and her carrying and all of her catering. But Mary is devoted to Christ. And that's what he's looking for, devotion for him, not distraction from him. You see, Jesus is concerned for these two sisters. He never wanted their actions. He wanted their affections. He didn't want their work. He wanted their worship. And this is what Mary understood and Martha didn't. 
Are you beginning to see what it is that Jesus actually wants from us? Why isn't Jesus preoccupied? Why doesn't Jesus care what we can do for him? Because everything that ever needed to be done, every work that we ever needed to accomplish, he's already done it. Because only he could do it. You know, only Jesus could live the perfect life of obedience to God and his law. Only Jesus could die the perfect death on the cross as a full satisfaction for man's sins. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So Jesus has come to do it. And that's the good news. You see, when you get that, when you get the gospel, that no amount of my good works can ever do anything for Jesus to add to my salvation, to make me more lovable, to make me more acceptable, to forgive some of my sins. When we understand that and we give up on our good works and we truly rest in what Jesus has done, then you can sit back and you can say, you know, I can finally rest from my work and find my rest in Jesus' work. I don't have to contribute because what he's done is perfect. And you'll realize, actually, that if his work is perfect, then anything that you tried to add will actually take away. It's like a master painter. He finishes a beautiful portrait after putting all of his sweat and and tears in his blood. And he steps back and he looks at the portrait and he says, it's finished and it's perfect. He doesn't need you taking out a Crayola marker and going up there and coloring the rest of the sky or rounding out his mountains. Because if you do that, you're only making it worse. Anything you add will only take away. And this is how the gospel mathematics works. When it comes to your salvation, your addition is only subtraction. Think about that. When it comes to your salvation, your addition, anything you're trying to add... It's really subtraction. You're just taking it away. You see, our ways of judging are always inadequate. We try to judge and we try to measure God, ourselves. And how do we do that? We compare it with us. We become the measuring stick, aren't we? But that is so relative, it's so inaccurate. The reality is, when, as we go around and we take our little tape measures and we measure people and find everyone to be inadequate, God comes down and he lays down his measuring stick over you, over each one of us, and we all fail. We all fall short. All of us, way short. But then he puts that measuring stick over Jesus' work. And it's perfect. It meets every dimension. He's met the measuring stick. And so now God judges you not based upon what you deserve, but based upon Jesus' merit for you. He doesn't measure you with a wooden ruler. You know how he measures you? By wooden cross. Because he sees the work Christ has done. And that's how he sees you. This is the work we need to trust and we need to work, we need to trust in Christ's perfect work, that that's the only way I have any right standing before God. Can you rest from your work for Jesus? And can you rest in his work for you? Can you work? Can you rest from your work for Jesus? And can you rest in his work for you? This is really difficult for a lot of us who grew up in the church. Because a lot of us who have done that, we've forged this identity that says that you're Your identity in Christ comes from your service to him. And for you, your walk with Jesus is so tied to your performance. Your walk and your work are so tied together. They're like Siamese twins, and you've been living together for so long that you don't know how to walk with Jesus apart from working for Jesus. 
And so it was only all in or none at all. Let the gospel into your heart to do surgery. Let the Spirit teach you that you must forsit at Jesus' feet and that your soul be saturated with and satisfied in Him completely. Start there. Spend considerable time there. Learning what it means to love Jesus and be loved by Jesus. Because it's only as you walk with Jesus faithfully that you can then work for Jesus joyfully. Like walking with Jesus is like the first button on your shirt. It's crucial for the first to be buttoned properly wide so that the rest can fall in line. If you ever started mismatched, everything gets misaligned. You see, if you start with working for Jesus, you'll soon be walking far from Jesus. That's a misalignment. But walk with him, and that leads to working for him. Now, how does that happen? Because you love him. So working for him will be of great joy and great delight and great satisfaction. In fact, you'll work for him because it's part of the joy of walking with him. Working for him is part of the joy of walking with him. You know, our vision at Cornerstone reads, and the first part is, we exist to glorify God by making gospel-centered disciples. What does that mean? We want to help people walk with Jesus faithfully. We want to make gospel-centered disciples, people who walk with Jesus faithfully. We exist to glorify God by making gospel-centered disciples who will bring the hope and renewal of Jesus Christ to greater Philadelphia and the world. What is that? We want to help people work hard for Jesus joyfully. So you look at our core values, all of them. It takes work to foster community in the church. Community with newcomers, even with strangers, when you'd rather stay in arms away, because that arms length away, because that's easier. Well, that's work, to work together for community fostering. To, to pray for your one, as I've been challenging you the past few weeks. To seek and to cultivate intentional relationships with unbelievers, even if you have to leave your comfort zone. That's work. It is work. To do mercy and justice sacrificially and generously in the local community, that's work. To become prayer partners with our missionaries and participants in the efforts of global missions when you're not the one overseas and you're at your home, that's work. But all of this is work that we can do joyfully because of the never-ending supply of grace received in walking with Jesus faithfully. Friends, this is the one thing necessary. Jesus is the good portion that will never be taken away from you. So let's begin now, walking together faithfully so that as a church, we can begin working for him joyfully. Would you pray with me? Now receive the benediction. May the grace our Lord Jesus Christ, our righteousness and the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May the blessing of this triune God be with God's people both now and forevermore. Amen. Would you hear the dismissal from Deuteronomy 6? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Go in peace, friends.